listener, and welcome to Better Than Fine. I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. And holiday season is unquestionably upon us. How do I know? Oh, it's not by the calendar date, though that certainly doesn't hurt. It's because the last few weeks, the fitness and wellness influencers who I follow have been posting a whole bunch on holiday eating strategies, Thanksgiving morning workouts, their Black Friday deals. I've even been getting text messages about what I should be thinking about or doing to lose weight during the holidays. (laughs) Which if you're a regular listener to this show, you probably know how I personally feel about that kind of targeted marketing. Uh, But if you're new to the show, welcome. And I'll just unpack that. Not only does that targeted marketing prey on our very worst fears about ourselves. It perpetuates some stereotypes about weight bias and honestly just doesn't work, right? We know that negative influence makes us less happy with our results than when we do things for positive reasons, which is why that very factoid alone is enough to motivate why I want to offer you something a bit different this Thanksgiving week. If you're looking for some of the standard Thanksgiving episode fare, a few weeks ago I did an episode on gratitude to help prime you, my dear listener, for some Thanksgiving thoughts on appreciation. But this episode is a bit different. I invited my friend Sandy Blaine on to do a bit of an experiment. Typically when I have a guest, I have preparation questions based on their field of expertise and yeah, that that typical interview that you're probably used to listening to through standard media or through podcasting. But for this episode, you'll hear, I, I unpack all of this in the intro when I welcome Sandy to the episode, but essentially we're doing something a bit different. We're gonna unpack on a concept and that concept is on discipline because as movement professionals, we get projected upon us a commentary about our our discipline, what discipline we might have. And Sandy and I both have negative reactions to that because what we actually have is aligned motivation um, and, and a life that we've cultivated that allows us to act upon that aligned motivation. And I share this episode this week because many of us, are under the influences of the stress of the last few years, the acute social stresses of this moment that we're in as cultures and societies, and I believe a species, as we are under a species level stress, and an inflection point. And and even more acutely, we will be under the forces of the marketing that happens around the holiday season, not just about the things that we buy, but also marketing targeted to exploit on certain feelings. And for many people, the holidays are difficult. They're fun. They're beautiful. Look, I am one of those people who just loves the winter holidays. I do. But I've also had periods in my life, like when I was getting a divorce um, or losing people that I love, where the holidays aren't all that fun anymore. And there's a lot out there that pulls on those negative emotions to get whether it's just your attention or your effort or your dollars. 
And so this episode, I believe, is really about taking control of yourself, moving away from externalized forces of reward and punishment and these identities that we've been taught to have and going in to yourself. What does that mean? What do I want? What does that look like? What feels good? And there is a lot of power that comes with that. And Sandy Blaine, my guest in this episode, I, sh- I want to say my co-host. She's not even really my guest because we're interviewing each other. My co-host for this episode, Sandy Blaine, is someone who deeply gets it. She has been thinking in this space for decades. And I hope you get a lot out of her and us. And honestly, let me just close this intro by saying, Happy Thanksgiving. And I hope that you are well. Um, I should say happy American Thanksgiving. I know we've got some listeners who are not on the same continent as me. And let's just also appreciate the privilege of having things to be grateful for and the problematic nature of American Thanksgiving to begin with. And yeah, having owned all that, let's start the show. (laughs) Fitness, wellness, well-being, relationships, our own minds, building a life that works for each of us, and of course, the care of the body that we live those lives in. Welcome to Better Than Fine. This is a podcast about living a life above zero, you know, one that's better than fine. And it's for those people who are looking to explore themselves, one another, and the lessons of the world around us. And we do that by exploring the intersection of traditional wisdom and modern science. And I'm your host, Darlene Marshall. I'm an expert in wellness and well-being with nearly a decade in the fitness industry. I've got a master's degree in applied positive psychology from the University of Pennsylvania, which is the scientific study of well-being. But really, I've spent my adult life exploring the human condition, looking for leverage points that I can use to unstick others along their journey. And this podcast is one of those unsticking tools. So let's get to it. Sandy Blaine is an author, an expert wellness consultant whose work draws on the, wait for it, science of positive psychology. Uh, And that being, of course, to listeners of this show, you know the science of happiness and what it means to have a meaningful life. And she worked, does that work in conjunction with uh, her background in wellness, in mind-body integration, and she uses those tools to help people realize their highest potential and create well-being, fulfillment, happiness, all those things that we are about. Um, that storied and interesting career includes working with Pixar in their in-house wellness program since 1994, which when I read that on your website, I thought, like, wow, how long was that before your average corporate workplace was talking about wellness. And now we're in this world where everyone is talking about wellness. She's got multiple books on yoga. Uh, she's written for the Huffington Post, Yoga International, Ascent Magazine, Yoga Journal. She's been teaching yoga or teaching yoga teachers <laughs> in combination for 35 years. Is that actually? Like- oh, no, no. Uh, but almost 30. Okay. Okay. I don't know why I thought it 35. Sure. 30. Cool. Um, so it's obvious to say that Sandy's got a lot to offer and I'm excited to have her on the show. This is our first time on the show. It certainly will not be the last, um, but I'm excited to say welcome to better than fine. Thank you, Charlene. I'm a fan of the show. So I'm very excited to be here. Yeah. I love it. I love the circle back. 
Yeah, lots of synergy between our work and our interests and our points of view. So, And also just you're, you're a kind and interesting person that I'm happy to like have in my circle of people, right? Well, thank you. Likewise. Ah, thank you. Um, so we'd planned to do an episode many months from now. We talked about doing an episode when the book that you're currently working on comes out. Um, but while having just sign of a sidebar conversation, you shared with me your own reflections on the concept of discipline. Uh, and it's, it's something that I'd been thinking about lately anyway. Uh, so we're going to have a very different kind of show today than the average listeners probably used to because it's less of like a structured interview. It's not me just waxing poetic on a topic. It's more of us having a conversation around this idea of discipline as being this key to success as it's promoted out in the achievement world. Uh, so I just want to set up that both of us have people in our lives who comment on like, oh, you have so much discipline because you eat a certain way and you move a certain way and you practice your mindfulness or whatever it is. Um, so whether we're talking about getting up early to meditate or we're talking about carving the time to, in my case, lift a lot, um, that we don't necessarily agree with that framing. So you wanna pick it up there and share like how, how you came to this conversation. Well, yeah. Um because I have done yoga for so long and so regularly, I do get that comment of, oh, you're so disciplined, which I know is not true. And people who are close to me would never characterize me that way. Um, <laughs> and I've always replied, you know, not really. What I am is highly motivated. Um, and so I have been interested in that idea. There were several key ideas that drew me to positive psychology. And when I did start studying positive psychology, uh, which is another story that we can talk about, but um, I was really delighted to find all of the research that had been done on various topics that I'd become interested in out of my own experience or that really described my own experience. Um, but, you know, in, in much more um, developed and nuanced ways. It gave me language to speak about it, but also really deepened my understanding of those ideas. And one of those things was all of the research uh, that's been done about human motivation and the different kinds of motivation. And, um, and that spoke to exactly what I've been telling people for years, that intrinsic motivation is, uh, just more positive and more effective than uh, this idea of rigid self-discipline. And uh, two things that I would say about that are, uh, one, um, you do find this idea of self-discipline in positive psychology. You do find people saying, oh, self-regulation is the, is the top strength because it supports all the other strengths. And, you know, no doubt there are days where I think, wow, I could do with some more self-regulation and even more with the, um, you know, even more during the pandemic when I found it much more challenging to stick to the, any kind of schedule. But yet doing something consistently for the joy of it <laughs> um, is I, for me a happier approach and more a little bit more in line with my ideas about positive psychology and the science of well-being. And I just feel like there's a split there between well-being and achievement. And you know, there are ways that they intersect, but 
your happiest days are not days that you march through life with perfect self-discipline on a schedule adhering, right? Hold up. I need to back up. (laughs) Yeah. Because since you said it, I've just been like sitting here stewing, mentally stewing, not like anger stewing. Um, Is there a difference between self-regulation and discipline? probably some nuances there. I mean, what do you, what do you I immediately was like thinking about times. All right. So when I think of self-regulation, I think of like, what, what's my knee jerk reaction and how am I, and is it really how I feel or is it really how I control? So when I think particularly about self-regulation, I think of like when my man person has done something that has really ticked me off and I want to just like tell him off right and that's singing, but I don't because I know that one, it's not productive Two, it's not like really who I am and probably not actually how I feel. It's probably just like, er, but I catch myself, which to me is not the same as I am. If I think of self-discipline, I think of in my late twenties as like a baby trainer in this famous gym in the West village, where it's like, all the sexy people. And I feel like, oh, I don't fit in here. So let me do these very extreme workouts and these extreme diets and adhere to them to the letter so that I can be accepted in this environment. The, that was discipline. And it was a reward structure that I'd internalized around reward and punishment, which is not to me the same as catching myself and a behavior that I want to change because I know that that's not who I want to be as a partner, right? That's very aligned, which, which wouldn't be, I, we're about to go down a different rabbit hole, but you mentioned intrinsic extrinsic um, and I want to unpack that, but first I want to give you a chance to just respond to like, to me, those are different self-regulation. And yes. You make a very good point. So what you're talking about and what is often meant by self-regulation is emotional self-regulation, right? It's, it's, it's uh, emotional intelligence. And actually, now that you say that, I think, well, some people are talking about that in positive psychology when they talk about uh, self-regulation, like that is one huge area of self-regulation, but there's also the self-regulation that's related to, like there's a spectrum of self-regulation that's related to habits right? That's, that's, that's really related to habits. So there's kind of a spectrum of self-regulation, discipline, willpower, right? And mm-hmm. all, uh, all of those things um, that, you know, can work together or, or not. Uh, but um, I also have a knee-jerk like um, resistance when I do hear a discipline, self-discipline, willpower as the basis of behavior. I mean, well, it's just know, one fragile. thing is, Yes, exactly. One thing is the research is willpower just doesn't work, right? Yeah. It, it doesn't work. And again, I feel like, you know, even on days where you feel like, wow, my willpower is really strong today. Are those your happiest days? Like marching through your day with this kind of self-discipline and getting everything checked off on your to-do list. Um, it's, it, it, yeah. it's so like, I think of when you talk about this spectrum, right? It's like, okay, willpower is the marshmallow experiment. You know, that eventually you get to give in. Discipline is I'm going through boot camp and I know boot camp is eventually over. Self-regulation is I'm choosing to be someone else 
And so I'm going to keep reinvesting in the lessons and the control of creating new habits that align better with who I want to be when I grow up. And so even if we're talking about habit change, like there was a period in my life that I was a smoker and I really liked smoking. And there are times now that I still think, God, I, I wish it wouldn't just kill me because I, I liked, I liked yeah. the social component. I liked the little buzz it gave me. I didn't like the throat infections I kept getting, but it took me years to quit because I didn't really want to. And so I was relying on willpower and discipline attached to the negative associations of what would happen to me if I kept smoking you know, for obvious health risks, but this was at a time that I wasn't a trainer. I was not very healthy anyway. I had bad mental health practices to begin with. Like there was a lot going on. It was not until I became a trainer and my identity changed. And I actually understood that every time I had a cigarette, I was giving myself mild carbon monoxide poisoning and it would mess with my workouts. That's what finally changed it for me. Right. Because now it aligns with what I can use as self-regulation to enhance my desire to change towards something I want, which is like we still need to unpack intrinsic extrinsic, but it's more aligned with identity, which is still extrinsic. It's not done purely for pleasure and joy, but it is at least closer on the spectrum to the things you want to do as opposed to the stuff you're making yourself do. Right. That's my, I, that's I my that's argument. <laughs> it's a great <laughs> argument. I think that is the key thing that you touched on the key thing. You didn't really want to. If you don't really want to, and it comes from, you know, outside, if it comes, you've talked about the shoulds and I've, always said yeah i'm not a fan of the word should and spend a month shouldn't all over yourself <laughs> right exactly um if you don't really want to um it's not does that really support your well-being you know in a in a holistic way yeah. right and that you know so a lot of my experience was organic i i fell in love with yoga i did yoga very regularly from almost the time that i discovered it um, you know, it was really just a source of joy and well-being for me. And it did then intrinsically change some of my other behaviors and habits. You know, when you're doing something for the love of it and it nourishes you so much, you do tend to gravitate toward healthier behaviors in other ways, right? It just, you know, that all sort of can come naturally. So I'm just I'm a big fan of finding your joy and, and having things radiate from there. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess this is why I wanted to unpack intrinsic versus extrinsic, right? It's so intrinsic is when we do things purely for the pleasure of them, right? You find your joy and you love it there and you do it because you enjoy it. On the other end, we have complete a motivation. Like I didn't want to quit smoking. (laughs) Uh, It makes it so awful, right? As a fitness professional be like, but it's honest. It's, it, I, it's honest. Um, uh, and I have the, a major sweet tooth, which actually I just brag about because I, yeah. <laughs> I don't like, because I don't, I, because I really want to own it. You know, I don't, you know, I, I, I just don't ever want to be inauthentic with that. So, yeah. you know, if you love smoking, there you go. I do want to just circle back to one thing you said, intrinsic motivation. Yes. It's something you do for the joy of it or, and, or, because it's deeply meaningful for you, right? Mm. Um, I mean, I think that meaning meaning can trigger our intrinsic motivation. Well, I, all right. So my understanding was, and maybe this is an opportunity for me to learn some things, which is always welcome. Um, we've got this spectrum, right? Between intrinsic and a motivation. So our fully external 
motivation is like systems of reward and punishment, right? Like I don't, I don't jaywalk in Los Angeles because I'm going to get a ticket. I'm not going to get a ticket in New York. So screw it. I'm walking where I want, right? Like there's no punishment for it. Or my boss is motivating me with bonuses. I'm going to work an extra couple of days to get the bonuses, even though I don't want to work, right? Those are all external. If we internalize them, right? That's, and now I'm trying to think of that's introjected, right? Um, We internalize those systems of reward and punishment. That's me wanting to fit in at the gym. And so I'm going to do these extreme diets because I think I should look a certain way. And then of course my physiology doesn't work that way and it ends up backfiring, but that's a different story for a different episode. Um, Now I thought, and of course my brain is escaping me on these next two ticks along, stops along the line here, that things that we deeply value or we deeply identify with. So like identified regulation is the closest one to intrinsic, that's where we see it as part of our identities. But I thought things that we find valuable and deeply valued and meaningful were like, okay, I'm not doing this for the joy of it, but I'm still going to do it. And it's still important to me. Am I incorrect in that understanding? I think it's more that there's a Venn diagram, right? Where okay. those two, right? Where those two things overlap. Yeah, no, I don't think you're incorrect. But I'm thinking of Ryan and Dechi make it look like a spectrum. And so yeah. for, for the uninitiated, Ryan and Dechi created the self-determination the theory. Spectrum. But I think when we get to that, there's yeah. that overlap between what's meaningful and what's joyful, right? I dig and that. then yeah. I dig that. Yeah. Um, but I think where we're of like mind in this is that motivation in the way that we're talking about it, discipline kind of falls on that really externalized reward and punishment end of the spectrum. And I think also is important if we're, if we're, if we're being mindful of our audience is to like recognize that the way we talk to ourselves about these things decides where it falls on the line. Yes, that's very true. And I'm thinking of a really close friend of mine who's not a body oriented person and uh, has said to me sometimes, um, having a bad day, did 15 minutes of yoga and just her astonishment of like, really? I feel that much, like I feel hugely better. Like, how can I feel this much better? I mean, and then you experience that, that is gonna become over time intrinsic motivation, right? Right. Even though you, you started it from a should, but you experience that. Whereas you're doing it for the extra money, right? Or the societal approval, that really probably is never gonna transform into intrinsic motivation, right? Yeah. Cause you're always going for that next thing. I feel like unless you've had some kind of self-transcendent epiphany experience, right? Like you were a trainer, you're doing extra training sessions for the money. You're not deeply identified with like, I don't know, whatever this new client. And then it turns out this client is, you know, in desperate need of your help. And they're so grateful that you absorb some of that and reflect it back to them. And then it becomes about that person and not about that money. Right. Right. But in that circumstance, it really is the message you tell yourself. Am I working this late in the day because I have to, or I choose to because this other stuff, right? Like this is the core of that reframe um, that I know I've talked about on the show a bunch because it's important. (laughs) Right, the reframing, absolutely. And you know, I mean, as people who are teachers, instructors, people who work uh, with clients, uh, some of where you 
find your meaning and your joy and your intrinsic motivation is uh, the caring you have for those people and your ability to positively impact their lives. I mean, that really is, you know, one of the core things that makes a good teacher is it's about them and not about you, right? So yeah, oh yeah, yeah. This, it's the you talk about Venn diagrams. It's like the sweet spot of this this body of evidence or technique or whatever, whatever role that I feel really passionate about this modality and it's the ability to impact someone's life and how can those fit together in a way that feels good for everybody involved. Um, and also I feel like as a student, you can really tell when that person isn't there for those reasons, right? And it does change your experience and, and my advice to that person is find a new teacher, but yeah. it makes a big difference. And you, yes, and you can tell when they are, you, right? You can tell when they are and, uh, and feel that authentic connection with that person. Um, and, you know, when I actually started teaching yoga, um, I was trying to decide what I wanted to do. I actually uh, started teaching when I was in college and I, uh, at Berkeley, and, uh, which is also where I grew up. Um, and I uh, was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I was like, well, what I really love is yoga but yoga itself the practice of yoga is an internal experience and I I wouldn't have predicted that I would love teaching as much as I do because that's a, just a very different thing than being on your own mat um, and doing your own yoga but I just found that exactly what you said the ability to positively impact people's lives and to share my joy and the well-being of that practice um, was very fulfilling. Was there a can you think of any particular moment or moments where this like kind of epiphany that it seems like we have both had about motivation was obvious to you because my moment was like right before we had that conversation like you said the words and I'm like Shh, shut up Sandy like I just had this thought yesterday <laughs> oh gosh you know I've been teaching for so long so all along the way just the sort of feedback from people of of wow I feel so much I feel so much better. And uh, one of my teacher training students said, because uh, uh, I, I did teacher training for, for a really long time, well, for like 15 years. Um, and I stopped shortly before I came to grad school. I, I kind of took a leave of absence from that and then moved on to other things. Uh, but I loved doing teacher training. And one, one person said to me um, that, what she was, that what she saw me modeling that she was trying to emulate was, uh, both the joy that I had in, in the practice, but also this message that I gave to students of, you can do this, right? You can do this. She said, I just watched you. It's like, you could do it. And you were telling people, you can do this. You can learn it to break it down into little bites and you can expand your limits. And I'm like, oh, wow, that's really like a wonderful description of what I want to be. Uh, putting out there. <laughs> yeah. And I imagine that it is not this like toxic positivity, hollow wellness thing of like, you can do anything. It's like, no, no, anything can be broken down into requisite skill sets. And right. we can put this into bite-sized chunks that you can metabolize. And then you put those chunks together and then yes, you can, you can figure this out. Right. Which right. is a very different tone of belief. Right. Well, and in terms of yoga poses, yes, it's never, oh, you can definitely get to this, you know, advanced pose. That's really not the important part of it. It's 
you can get to the next step. And working on this next step is going to have all of these benefits. And it doesn't matter what three steps down the line is. Right. And, and that that's not really the point, right. When we're talking about yoga specifically, and I think of it even from a like movement and, and training perspective, right. right. The goal for me is never to get some client who's like competing in Olympic lifting at a national level. Like I'm, I'm not that coach. You shouldn't be with me, but like, if you're, I don't know, struggling to function because your movement quality is compromised and you think that you can't get better. Yeah, let's, you can do it. You, you, let's find the way, you know, like let's break it down to the component parts. Right. And the goal is just to discover more well-being in your body. That's right. Yes. Right. Yes. I want to find a way to call it a different word than what like our, some of our fellow practitioners use the same words that we do to call their thing. It's like, this is a different thing. It's a different intention behind it. So I guess, you know, when I think about this discipline motivation thing, I, I used to not recoil to discipline because like baby trainer Darlene thought that though discipline's how you get this. And then I learned some hard lessons. And now when I think about discipline, I, you know, I had a, a pretty militant step first stepdad, um, former drill sergeant cop. And like that house was run like a barracks. And there was a lot of expectations that came with that. And I hated it and definitely rejected it as a life model. And when I think about discipline, I think about what he thought he was teaching us, my brothers and I, and really what he taught us was the opposite. Or as opposed to like my own dad, who I can think of like teaching me how to change the tires on my car and like my car maintenance, which is like a very routine thing, but you know, he was able to make it matter to me. And that's the valued piece. And I think of that as like, oh, I'm motivated to spend time with my dad and to also like make sure my car doesn't break down on the side of the road. Right. Like it's, it doesn't have to be like, I'm motivated because this is so fun. It can also be like, I'm motivated because there's, you know, like value in caring about something. Right. And it, it is a form of self-care as well. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Caring for yourself. Um, so let's assume that hopefully we've convinced some listeners that they care about motivation more, that they're like, yeah, Sandy, um, what do I, what do I do about this? I'm still not making myself get up at 6am to meditate or whatever. Yes. Well, making yourself do something is, um, is a should. And uh, many people will tend to either rebel against that, right? The automatic sort of rebellion against that. But even those who don't, it's not necessarily like a, a happier, fulfilling experience. You know, if you're not a morning person, I mean, my thing would be, I would say, instead of I'm going to get up at 6 a.m. to meditate every day, I would say, what is the best time of day for me to meditate? Where can I fit it into my schedule that really works with my natural rhythm? You know, so um I actually do try to, and I, you know, do this some days and not others, but I try and uh, uh, practice first thing. Like whenever I get up, I try and practice first thing before I plug in um, that, you know, and then uh, take my meditation, you know, I'll meditate for a few minutes after my yoga practice, but um, 
I try and take a self, a wellness and self-care break. And it depends on the season, actually, what time. Like at this time of year, it'd be 3.30, 4 o'clock, right? Toward the end of the day, but not dark out yet. So in the summer, I have a longer work day. Um, I also have, you know, a little more control over my work schedule than maybe the average person. But I think you can still, even if with a regular job, take a wellness and self-care break mid-afternoon. And that is then either meditation, go for a walk, a cardio break. It kind of depends on what I need that day. Um, Ooh, that I think is an important one to highlight too, as a practitioner is, I think there's, I think there is value in like, okay, I'm going to consistently do a specific practice for a certain amount of time in order to internalize it, understand it, like deepen it, whatever. But at a certain point, it's not about how many days in a row I've done, you know, meta, like loving kindness meditation. It's really like, okay, that's not really what I need today. What I need today is a mindful walk. Like I need to move and sitting is only going to make whatever state I'm feeling more agitated or whatever. Like what I actually need is this other thing and being able to read oneself and have a, a library to pull from to connect to that need and, and move through it and with it. Cause I right. think, I just think there's an assumption that like, oh, well you probably meditate every day and you do this specific kind of meditation. And that's the best kind of meditation. Cause you've been doing this, you know, for decades. And like, I, I, at least for me, it's not really like that. Right. And I, I, I like that you said library. I think of it as toolbox, but having your own personal wellness or well-being library or toolbox that you can tap into. Um, you know, when the pandemic started, I thought, you know, okay, well, my yoga practice, and I, I know I did keep up my yoga practice. Uh, it you know depended on the day and the week, but it certainly was a source of uh, well-being and nourishment for me. But I really found that my most reliable mental health boost during this time was to get outside go for a walk or a hike with a friend, you know, mask, socially distanced, but you know, that sort of triple whammy well-being impact of social time, movement, outdoors time. I, you know, the way that that, it was really astonishing how that could turn any day around uh, during this time, uh, you know, very challenging time, right? Oh yeah. Um, I similarly, um, I read Joy of Movement in, you know, the, during lockdown, um, cause I was, I was prepping to write my capstone and, and Kelly's work is relevant to that. Um, so for anybody who hasn't listened to the recent episode interviewing Kelly McGonigal, go listen to that. If you want the quick version of uh, her book, yeah, but, fans of Kelly McGonigal right here. <laughs> yeah. Right. We are the Kelly McGonigal fan club, Kelly. Totally. I hope you're listening to this. Yeah. You're probably not, <laughs> but a girl can dream. Um, anyway, so Kelly, uh, so reading the book. I knew that my running practice was foundational to my well-being. I knew that it helped me be more productive, had a clearer head, like da 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 da. And then in Joy of Movement, she talks about like your endocannabinoid system and how it makes you more sensitive to serotonin and like all of these other elements where I changed the duration and frequency of my runs through the COVID year, other than when I've been hurt or sick, because yay for having EDS that these things happen, but I used to do, you know, like one long run a week. Sometimes I'd get a second long in there and I changed it to like every other day, 20, 22 minutes, because like, I just need to keep the sensitivity to anything positive as high as possible. Um, 
to, to weather all of that. Uh, and so I do appreciate like just quick plug to understanding your own physiology at a level that you can tinker with these systems in the way that you're describing. It's like, okay, if I know that these are the cocktail elements that make me feel more positively human, let me start titrating that in and doing it because I want to have a happy, positive life, thereby tying the meaning to motivation instead of I should be moving more. Well, right. And I actually, uh, <laughs> one, one of the friends that I walk with, this really close friend, she likes to do this staircase walk in her neighborhood. There's these staircases through um, Piedmont, which is adjacent to Oakland that go up through the hills. And when I've done it, my phone says I've, I've climbed 27 staircases when I, I do it. And she's like, do you want, she's like, do you want to do the butt burner uh, staircase walk today? And I'm like, no. And honestly, no, <laughs> like, no, I don't, but I'll do it because first of all, you want to do it. And second, and that will, and second, I know I'll feel so great afterwards. And um, you know, and it, it, it does tick all those boxes. It's not really intrinsic motivation so much at, right. It, but you could, I bet it's over time. I've seen it turn into intrinsic motivation because I'm like, wow, I really feel good after I do this. But I think you bring up a really good point about how to hack that because yes. I think there's a lot of people out there who know, <laughs> okay, I'll feel better if I get myself to that, but they right. struggle in the anticipatory moment of starting. Right. But we know that because that last moment of something, right, is going to have an impression on us. If, if after doing the butt burner, you hit the top of that giant staircase, and then you say to yourself, oh, I feel so much better. You're programming yourself to associate that positive feeling with the effort you just made. And by right. making those conscious associations, you're changing the narrative for yourself. So that next time it's a little easier, a little easier, a little easier, a little easier. Yeah. I mean, and I don't, that's her name for it. I don't even like the name for it, but boy, do I really like the effect. And it, you know, again, it takes all those boxes outdoor moving with a friend and, um, and so social connection. And it's just like the friend I said, who like, wow, I cannot believe I feel that much better after a 15 minute yoga break, which I was resisting doing over time, you know, that does turn in to, um, Right. And, and, and there you have the upward spiral, right? That Barbara Fredrickson's upward spiral, which is uh, so descriptive of my experience with yoga practice. Which there right? is an I episode mean, on my for anyone. Class, I'm like, wow, I feel amazing. I want to feel like this all the time. I'm going to do this again. <laughs> well, I think there is, uh, let me like quick plug. I don't know that like, if we're disambiguating motivation and discipline here, like maybe we don't call this discipline. But I think of times in my own life where I knew if I persisted, that feeling would come. And so I kept persisting and eventually got the physiological adaptation that allowed for the boost. Yeah. So I guess this is to say that if you are someone listening to this and you're like, yeah, but I don't feel that way when I do some of the things you're talking about, it's like, there is, there may be a persistence component. There may be other things. I actually just, I just got off a call um, with someone who I know listens to this show. So um, talking about like, why can't I, why don't I exercise regularly? Like I've tried all these different things. I don't like any of them. And once we dug in deep enough, it's like, oh, well you have an injury. Every time you do them, you're in pain. 
well, of course you don't like them. You're in pain. Let's either find stuff that isn't painful or address the underlying foundational stability issues so that you're not in as much pain. So there might be obstructions to people who are thinking like, well, this doesn't apply to me. Like if we remove some constraints, you may find that you're able to access some of what we're talking about. Right. I mean, actually, uh, when I first found yoga, it was because I had knee injuries at a very young age. I had knee injuries and I'm just genetically set up for them. And I was a natural, I am a natural movement and body person. I really hurt myself doing dance and gymnastics and stuff. And, um, and I kept doing yoga because it made me feel so great. And I actually enjoyed it. Um, and even the parts of yoga that were really hard for me, <clears throat> you know, I, 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 could feel how they were good for me. Um, but then like six months in, my knee pain had cleared up and that was tremendously motivating for me. So finding, and I did it not because I was interested in yoga, but because I was looking for something, like I first came to the class because I was looking for something that I could do that wouldn't hurt my knees or wouldn't injure them more. And um, that is how I came to it. But as a teacher, I saw this exactly what you're talking about. People would come, and if you're not a naturally flexible person and you start yoga in your 40s, right, there's a lot of sensation at first, a lot of sensation. And we do tend to be programmed to avoid intense sensation. Um, and so if that's happening to you and you're a tight person, you're going to think, oh, I'm too tight to do yoga, or this doesn't feel good. And, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, and I saw time after time after time that for people who stuck with it for six weeks to three months, you know, and, and that's a tall order. Um, but the people who did stick with it for that certain period of time, there's a retraining that your nervous system experiences. You experience enough times of like, wow, that was hard or uncomfortable, but wow, I felt so much better afterwards. And then your nervous system starts to welcome that sensation. You learn the difference between sensation and pain. Organically, you learn it. Intrinsically, you learn it. The, the difference between sensation and pain and your whole system starts to welcome that sensation because you have that feedback loop of, wow, I feel better. This is healing. This is good. You learn the difference between sensation and pain, right? Yeah. Right. And there, I mean, there's actually an easy, there's an easy way to, uh, learn that difference, right? Which I would just say, there's an easy way to learn that difference, which is, I, you know, you stretch one side, right? You stretch one side. And I know most of people are listening to this in audio. So I just stretch my arm up over my head and draw my hand behind my head. And I'm lifting up one elbow and maybe take five or six breaths, just really simple stretch. And then you drop, right? Yeah, let's do this. I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to do it now, Sandy. Yeah, do it. So one hand is dropped down. Between your shoulder your blades, back. you're elbows lifting that elbow up. up toward the ceiling. It's a kind of a universal feel-good stretch. Don't do anything that hurts, right? Don't do anything that hurts. And take those deep breaths into that stretching side. Uh, one more deep breath, and then exhale and just let your arms drop back down. Feel your body. Okay, there's so much feedback, right? In that's having your nervous system. All right. Now, would it not feel so weird not to do the other side? <laughs> okay. Would it not, like, is your body longing to do that other side? 
right? What you, you feel- anyone who's in audio can't hear it, can't see me like wiggling. <laughs> right, right. You are twitching to do that other side. But if somebody punched you in that arm, you would not be feeling like, you know, I'm out of balance, right? I need somebody to punch me in the other arm. <laughs> oh, right? that's fascinating. Okay, so what I hear you saying- that's not good for you. There's what I hear you saying is that there's a sensation to the stretching, <clears throat> opening, elongation that you're like, oh, I think of it as self-myofascial release, right? If I roll one quad, I can't not roll the other quad. Right. Right. Um, and- as opposed to, you know, I get, I immediately thought of get like jabbed with something because I'm thinking about my quads now. It's like, if I get jabbed with something in one quad, I don't yeah. want it in the other no, quad. <laughs> you would have an aversion to that. And even things that you've never done before, like sometimes I teach yoga eye exercises, people have never done them before. And you do a diagonal, look up to one diagonal, down to the other diagonal, you pause, you are twitching to do that other, you know, you are not going to feel in balance. So, right, it, there, the body craves balance and you move towards things that are good for you in a way for instance, in terms of sensation, not in terms of everything. Okay. But so if we, we do tie the other this, arm? sure, we can do the other arm. We'll do the other arm while we, while we have this other, yeah. uh, my thought is if we tie this back to our theme, I think of motivation as getting punched in the arm where it's like, that didn't feel good. I don't want to do that again, but I'm going to make myself because it's quote unquote, good for me, as opposed to finding a way to get the same outcome or to value it in a way that it becomes motivating, right? Like some of that is meaning making. Some of that is meaning making. That's right. And I, I think, hope- you know, so there we talk about our Venn diagram of if, even if it's not joyful at first, it's yes, ah, we're now more in balance, <laughs> stretching and breathing. We, you know, and just a simple stretch, you feel better, right? Yeah. So, um, but <laughs> to learn it without getting punched in the arm, you, you know, there's that retraining, there's that retraining that happens if you, you know, stick with, I mean, yoga is my example, but, um, but, you know, with something because it, you know, because you feel better after, um, your whole system will learn to reinterpret. Yeah. Well, and to, to add a button here, cause we're, we're coming to a close. I think we so often get these externalized labels of soft quotes, healthy behavior. Right. And, but when we're actually talking about wellness and well-being, we might be talking about the same behaviors, but we're talking about a different lens and approach to them. And a different internal experience of them. And actually, since we are coming to a close, one thing that I did want to touch on in terms of the whole spectrum of motivation is um, Bob Valorant's work on passion, right? And um, that the difference, but his studies on the difference in well-being impact um, when you have harmonious passion for something versus having obsessive passion. And we all know people who, you know, they do do it. They do do that extreme diet or they do do the extreme exercise, but it runs them, right? Rather than being something that they, you know, there's again, that Venn diagram or overlap between intrinsic motivation and harmonious passion and obsessive passion is that, you know, when you've gone so far down that um, self-discipline rabbit hole that your, whatever that behavior is, is, is sort of running you, it's not supporting your life. It's right, your life is wrapped around it. And the well being impact of that, there's just it's diminishing returns on that in terms of well being. Yeah, I immediately think of the clients I've had who have overuse injuries in a, a recreational hobby sport, but 
aren't willing to even pause that sport for a few months in order to allow their body to heal and are, are, you know, grinding that joint into a fine paste or whatever. And it's like, okay, but you understand that if you keep going right now, you won't get to do that at all. And there will be other downstream negatives where like, there's a lot of other things you won't get to do, not even just that sport, but they're so, you know, obsessive as to become a, a maladaptive, right? Yes. I mean, something can be the center of your life because you love it. But if it is running your life and running your, you know, all of your mental narratives, then again, there's just diminishing returns to that. Um, What a wonderful, wandering, conversational experiment (laughs) this has been. Um, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I want to invite uh, the listener to give us some feedback. Did we like this open format wander? (laughs) What did we think? Um, because, oh, we'll probably end up doing it again at some point. (laughs) Uh, I really hope so. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank Um, you. Me too.